Wednesday is September, right? Yeah, I know, I just heard a big sigh. Somebody just sighed, but anyhow, hey, it's good to be back. Um, I want to say a special thanks to uh, Pastor Heather and uh, Pastor John for two weeks ago, uh, Pastor John preaching, and then last week for Billy Springer leading worship, and uh, Johnny Jackson, thank you so much. Johnny, you up there in the tech room? Uh, thank you so much. Yeah, I see you back there um, for preaching last week and just uh, keeping the ball rolling while we were away. And so someone said, Are you, do you feel rested coming back from vacation? So I was with my family for vacation. So you know what I'm saying? I mean, I mean, it was, it, there's a lot of activity, especially, you know, uh, when there's you know, the four grandchildren and everybody together, it is not a time to rest. You know, so vacation is not, do any of you go on vacation to rest? Anybody? I mean, there's a few of you do. Okay. All right. But not many, right? I mean, vacation is a time to go. So, um, you know, it was, it was wonderful to be away. And then this last week, um, we, we got back on like Sunday night. And then uh, this last week, I had a lot of projects to do, work projects at the house. And so it was a nice, cool week to work outside. <laughs> if anybody was outside this week, man, it was like brutal. But I had so many things that had just been piling up at my house to do. And so I was able to spend a lot of time working on stuff outside this week and uh, a lot of projects that were just had to be finished. And so uh, not that I finished many of them, but at least I worked on them. Uh, and then Friday, we took our students to the beach. We had a great time at the beach. And we went to Sandy Hook and uh, had just a wonderful time there. And so it's been an active week the last two weeks. But I'm glad to be back here uh, uh, to be able to stand and to bring the word uh, to you guys today. So thank you for coming and thanks for being here. And um, as we do this summer series, you know, as I, I, as I set the summer series up uh, at the beginning of June, very early June, I picked out all these uh, verses from questions, hard questions that God asks, specifically the questions that Jesus asks, and uh, just, you know, I set them out in order, in no, just the order that I felt like, you know, God was directing me to put them into, and, uh, and, and so the, the verse that came up for today um, is uh, the question Jesus asks, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? And so as I, as I got that, you know, as I put that in place back in June, I was thinking to myself, how is the Lord going to work that out? You know, because that is not a question that any of us would like to have asked of us. But at the same time, I think it's a question that we really all have to come to terms with. Are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? And so if you're not familiar with the story, of course, we'll, we'll read a little bit of, from the, the Gospels here. But as Jesus is getting ready to go to that final day when he's going to be, uh, you know, tried and crucified, that night before, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's there with his disciples and uh, he's betrayed by Judas, who's one of his disciples, who comes to him and actually betrays him at this time. And so that's what we're going to pick up here in two of the Gospels, the Gospel of Luke chapter 22 and the Gospel of Matthew chapter 26. So how many of you have ever been betrayed? Have you ever been betrayed? A couple, a couple of times, right? For some people, it's a chronic problem, maybe, you know. And how many of you have ever betrayed anybody? Yeah, I mean, you, truth be told, you know, I mean, you know, we've been on the receiving end, but sometimes we're on the giving end to betrayal too. And it, it's not, it doesn't make you feel good if you're on either end, does it? You know, and, um, and uh, you know, I remember one time when I really felt betrayed by some people, you know, and, um, and how many of you know it happens in life? I mean, you just get, you, you get those feelings of betrayal. One time I remember praying and, and I was just really sort of just, you know, 
you know, just sort of drowning in my sorrow. And, and I said to the Lord, you know, I don't think you really know how I feel about this, Lord, you know. And I really felt like God spoke to me and said, you know, Jesus spoke to me and said, uh, and I didn't hear an audible voice. It wasn't like, like Dave, <laughs> you know, but I, I, I could sense the voice of God saying to me, listen, my best friend denied he even knew me. And so if, if you feel betrayal, I want you to know that there is a God in heaven who understands betrayal. Jesus was betrayed as well. And so no matter what we go through, the good and the bad in life that we go through, when we pray to Jesus, we're not praying to some God who doesn't understand how we feel. Jesus knows what betrayal is because he was betrayed. And so let's look at this in, in the Gospel of Luke chapter 22, and we see this, and then we'll go to Matthew chapter 26, uh, verse 47 and 22. It says, While he was still speaking, behold, a crowd came, and the one called Judas, one of the twelve, was preceding them. And he approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? That is, wow. I mean, those two things should not go together, right? A kiss and betrayal. I mean, that is like as far opposite as you can possibly be. And at the same time, this is how Jesus is betrayed by one of his close friends. You might say, well, Judas wasn't his close friend. He was possessed of the devil. Judas was one of Jesus' close friends. He was one of the 12. He walked with him for three years, over three years. He saw him do miracles. He saw him multiply the bread and, and the fish. He saw him calm the storm. He saw him walk on water. He saw him heal the blind people and the lame and raise the dead. And yet he comes and he betrays Jesus with a kiss. In Matthew 26, Matthew's rendition of this says in verse 47, while he was still speaking, Jesus, while Jesus was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. So no matter how you play it out, this betrayal that Jesus has from Judas, this betrayal that Judas does to Jesus is an incredible injustice. And, you know, the, the, the feeling of betrayal is just something. And, and, and in, our, in, our, in our idiom, in our language, uh, the term Judas kiss is not just a religious thing. It's also used in a secular sense. And so how many of you ever heard that term? Well, that's just a Judas kiss. Have you ever heard that? If you've read much, you've read that, I'm sure. And so the term Judas kiss is, is really an incredible thing. It's an act, and according to the freedictionary.com, it says it's an act appearing to be an act of friendship, which is in fact harmful to the recipient. It also says it is a traitorous action disguised as a show of affection. And so when you do a traitorous action, when you do something to hurt somebody, but you sort of cover it with a sign of affection, it's known as a Judas kiss. And that got me to thinking as the Holy Spirit sort of percolated inside of me, you know, there have been times that I've given a Judas kiss to Jesus. I mean, there have been times when I've feigned, you know, love for him, but had an ulterior motive. I mean, that's the reality. I mean, I'm not saying that to, you know, I'm not resigning today and telling you that I've been, you know, unfaithful to Christ. But the reality is, in myself, there have been times when I have outwardly appeared to have embraced Christ, but have done the wrong motives. 
And my, my thought is probably most of you have been in the same place too. And if you're honest, really all of us have been to a, a place where we have been, you know, like Judas, betraying Jesus with a sign of affection. And you might say, well, Pastor Dave, it's just you. You're the only evil person in this room. If that's the case, so be it, you know. Uh, but I happen to think I know some of you. <laughs> and so um, we're in this boat together, you know. And isn't it wonderful that we're not here because we're perfect? We're here because Jesus is perfect, right? And uh, sometimes we do stumble and sometimes we do fall. Uh, but God is there for us when, even when we stumble and fall so that we can find our way back to him, right? He shines the light for us, doesn't he? So, um, you know, I, I thought to myself, um, um, this is interesting. Judas knew Jesus. He knew him. He had been with him for over three years, but he didn't really know Jesus. And there's a difference between knowing Jesus and knowing him. And this is where, you know, this is the rub that comes on us. A lot of people in, in, in the world know Jesus. They know about him. But do you really know him? Because if you know him, it goes deeper than just this surface thing that we understand him to be a person of history. But he's much more than that if you get to know him. Judas never really got to know Jesus. <clears throat> His mind was somewhere else. Sometimes familiarity breeds contempt, right? There's been a lot of people who know enough about Jesus to just have a little contempt for him. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes here. So the question that I would ask you today is, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? <clears throat> Let's sort of unpack that together this, at, this morning here as we do that. So how are some ways that we can betray Jesus with a kiss or greet him with a kiss but with the wrong motive, you know? And so maybe, maybe we'll see if, if the Holy Spirit will sort of... And so you might say, well, Pastor Dave, you're just coming back from vacation. Shouldn't this be a happy message? Well, it is going to be happy. Don't, we're going to end happy. Is that Okay. Well, we got to get through a little bit of stuff first, okay? Are you with me? Are you willing to do that? <clears throat> you haven't heard me in two weeks. Are you sick of that or what? <clears throat> all right, all right. <clears throat> Here we go. Number one, one of the ways that I think that we sometimes betray Jesus with a, a Judas kiss is expressing love, devotion, and loyalty to him, to Jesus, while not following his instructions. This is a big thing. This is common. And so, like, today... In, in our society, especially in the Western world, we have this idea that, you know, we can just sort of say we love Jesus, and that's it. Well, if, if you say you love someone, there, there needs to be a connection with that person, right? And when it comes to Christ, when it comes to God, God is not a man. Now, Jesus was, he had human form when he, when he was here on earth, but he's God, right? And so he's not, we're not equal to Jesus, right? We're not God's. You know, we're, we're, we're children of the Most High, but we're not God's. And so if we have a relationship with God, there has got to be some, some quid pro quo coming back and forth. There are things that God gives to us, and then we give back to him, correct? That's how any relationship is, right? If it's only one way, it's not really a relationship, right? Okay? So in this, let's go to Luke chapter 6. And Jesus talks about this here, this idea of, of coming to him and, and expressing love and devotion, but not backing it up. In verse 46 of Luke 6, he says this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Well, I mean, right there, that's, that's another question, I guess, that we can sort of spend 
<clears throat> an entire week on if we, if, we, if we could. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? See, there's a lot of folks who say they love God or they love Jesus, but don't do what he says. And so listen, we're not saved by our works, right? But the reality is once, once you receive the love of Jesus Christ, once the grace of God comes and rests on you, you should begin to walk in his ways. You should begin to do as he instructs us to do. And there's a reason why. Like when you, when you learn, how many, how many of you remember when you learned how to drive? Right? You had to learn new things for that. Maybe you learned, you know, that you had to stay on your side of the road. Right? <laughs> that those octagonal signs that are red with a white border on them, it says stop, they're there for a reason. The light is red, yellow, and green for a purpose and a reason. There's all these rules to learn. But then once you learn, I mean, do you think about the rules of driving when you, when you drive? I mean, some of you don't think about anything when you drive. I mean, come on. I mean, be honest. I mean, so, how many of you have ever gotten to some place where, how did I get here? I mean, is it just me as dementia setting in here or what? You know, you, get so, you don't even think about what you're doing. And some of you on your phone should just get off the road, right? Because some of you cannot talk and drive at the same time. I'm not even going to touch you people who text and drive, right? Or watch a show or watch your, your vines or whatever, you know, your, your reels while you're driving, okay? You're, you're going to kill somebody. So just stop. But the reality is there's things to learn for that. And the reality is when we love Jesus, when we follow him, there are instructions that he gives us, and those instructions are not there to spoil our life. Let me tell you this. I've been living for Jesus my entire life. There's no instructions that he's given me that have really cost me much. I mean, he's been nothing but good to me. He's blessed me beyond what I could possibly deserve to be blessed. And so it has not been troublesome for me to serve God. God has been nothing but good to me. And so if there are things that he's asked me to do, when I do them, it, it, how many of you have found this to be true? When there are instructions that God gives you, when you do them, at first you're like, oh, this is going to be painful. And after you do them, God just blesses you. Isn't that the case? Right? And so he goes on here, verse 47, and he says, As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they're like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. And this is where when push comes to shove, when you build your life, the things that really matter in your life, when you build your life principles, your, your morals, your character, when it's built upon the word of God, and it's built upon God's instructions. Even a person who doesn't know God, if he builds his life on godly things, will stand through the storms of life. How much more a person who really knows God and loves God and builds his life on that rock, that foundation of Jesus Christ, digs down to find it, and when they find it, they put their foundation on that. Because, listen, the storms of life will come. There are going to be storms that come in your life. I mean, you might say, well, I'm, I'm just smooth sailing today. Well, tomorrow's a different day. I mean, the reality is storms are going to come. And many of you have had incredible storms already in your life, 
And, and, and some people, those storms come and it blows them away because they don't have anything that they're based on that will stand the test of time. I want you to know that the thing that my life is based on has stood the test of time for 2,000 years. It's a God who is unchanging. It's a Savior who loves you, who will always be there for you. That God is Jesus Christ, and he will be there no matter what comes, hell or high water, it doesn't matter. Even the gates of hell won't prevail against you if you're, if you're built on that rock of Jesus Christ. And that is something that, listen, the world needs to know this because there's no foundation for anything anymore. People are grasping at everything to try to find something to base their life on. And we have something that we have that has stood the test of time for two millennium. For 2,000 years, Jesus Christ has, has brought stability to people just like you and I. And so the reality is, is that when it comes to when we know Jesus, and Judas knew Jesus, but he didn't really know him, you know? When it comes to us, Man, when we come to know Jesus, there's this thing called obedience. And obedience was, obedience is, and obedience always will be better than sacrifice. Obeying the word of the Lord. You read through the Psalms and you read them. And so many times the psalmist writes, he says, your word is like life to me. Your laws and your precepts are like life to me. They're not, they're not troublesome. They're not hard. They're not, they don't take the, the zest of life out of you. When you follow after Christ and you do what he says, man, life is, a, is, is, is beautiful. It, it's not that you don't have storms. It's not that every day is like, well, I'm walking on sunshine. I mean, maybe if you're on drugs, you can do that. But otherwise, you're, you can't walk on sunshine every day. I mean, some days are diamonds and some days are stones. Sometimes it's more stones than diamonds, right? You know, when, on vacation, I was, at, I was at this place called Sunset Beach. Anybody ever been there? Uh, it's down in Cape May. You go to Sunset Beach, and you go to this beach, and it's, it's a pebble beach, and it's actually where the Atlantic Ocean meets the Delaware Bay on the New Jersey Cape. And, um, and it's an interesting place because up here in the Poconos, actually, there's quartz in the mountains. And I actually preached a sermon on this about 10 years ago. There's quartz in the mountains, and as, as the, the river, the Delaware River goes through the mountains, it, some of the quartz rocks break off, and they're, they're tumbled all the way down the Delaware River, and they get to the Delaware Bay, and because of a shipwreck that's there right at West Cape May at, at Sunset Beach, the current pushes these little tiny pieces of quartz up onto the beach there, and it's, they're called Cape May Diamonds. You know, and and it's actually beautiful. So what you do is um, when you're there, like we were there on Thursday, Thursday night, I think, on vacation. And so um, so what you do is you can just sit there and do nothing and just wait for the sunset. Or you can actually go and look and try to find these Cape May diamonds. They're right in the pebbles there. It's beautiful. If you've been anybody been there? Oh, Pastor Mike, I'm not making this up, right? It's beautiful. Yeah. So so. Um, the reality is you got to really search for them. They're not everywhere. you got to look hard for them. And sometimes, you know, sometimes that's what serving God is like. you got to search for those diamonds in your life because a lot of days are just stones. But, man, God gives us diamonds too. Isn't it wonderful? And if every day was a diamond, a diamond wouldn't be worth anything, right? But thank God for the diamonds that we get. Obedience was, is, and always will be better than sacrifice. Number two, the second way that we sometimes give a Judas kiss to Jesus is by serving him only when it suits us. 
And again, here we go. Oh, so Pastor Dave, you're just negative again. Whatever. Um, you know, this is like a Judas kiss. When we serve him, when it only suits us, when it's good for us, I'll serve Jesus. When it's not good for me, I'm not going to do it. So it's sort of like when you go to a buffet. I mean, how many of you love to go to the buffet, right? So my favorite buffet, yes, my favorite buffet, somebody just woke up out there. Thank you. That's good. My favorite buffet is Royal Buffet. How many of you love Royal Buffet, right? And so you know what's great about Royal Buffet? You can eat whatever you want to eat. So like when I go there with my family, like I like to eat at Royal Buffet. So my first place I go to is like the, the hibachi. Yeah, that's right. I, I heard that amen. That's good. So I go to the hibachi, and, you know, you get some spicy food, some shrimp there, and some chicken. And how many of you are just getting hungry right now, right? You're just, right? And so you, you go to the hibachi, and you get, and, but now Laura does not go to the hibachi. She just goes right to the line, and she like, and, and you know what's interesting? Her and I, we don't even eat the same foods at the, at, at the buffet, with the exception of the shrimp and uh, zucchini. We both love that. But like, she eats different stuff than I do. And it's okay because you're at the buffet. You get to pick what you want to pick. Serving Jesus isn't like a buffet. You can't just pick what you want about him. I mean, if God really exists, if he really is real, and, he's, and he has revealed himself to us, then our response has got to be to that God who's revealed himself to us. And so you can't just pick pieces of Jesus that you like. And that's the thing today that's really popular in religion is today is people, like I have a friend who's a Catholic priest, he's a Monsignor, and, and he says, those are cafeteria Catholics. <laughs> he said, you know, they sort of go and they just want to pick the little pieces that they like and they don't do the rest that they don't like. But listen, there's, there's, there's strength when we learn the discipline of following Christ and receiving all that he has for us the things we like and the things we don't like. You know, the things that are easy for us and the things that aren't so easy. Otherwise, we just serve him when it's easy. And if we serve when it's easy, we're not really serving him. If, it, if you only serve him when it suits you, it's not service. It's just hanging out. And, and, and that obedience requires us to, to serve him. So in uh, Luke chapter 9, uh, Jesus comes across three guys. And I've, I've preached on these three guys before as well. My question would be, are we comfortable with our relationship with Jesus as long as it fits our lifestyle? That's how you see that you're a cafeteria Christian or, you know, a buffet Christian. In verse 57 of chapter 9, it says this. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Verse 59, he said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus sounds sort of harsh here. But what happens is, you know, we sort of put on this facade before God, but God sees through our facade. I mean, the reality is he sees us, we're bare and open before him. And so we can't hide something from God. And so when, when people spoke to Jesus, he was able to see through what they said to what they really meant. And so the first guy that comes to him, he's like, hey, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, I don't even have a place to lay my head. I don't even own a stone to put my head on. And the guy that, that disqualified him because 
he wanted to follow Jesus, but his desire to follow Jesus was a shallow desire. There's a lot of people that want God, but their, their desire for him is very shallow. And when we come to him with a shallow desire, it's like giving him that Judas kiss. The second guy was someone that he said, Jesus said to him, follow me. And he says, it sounds good. Let me first go and bury my father. So obviously the guy's father died. No. What he was saying to Jesus was, hey, listen, let me get my inheritance first, and then I'll come and follow you. And so Jesus sees through it. And so this guy isn't just concerned about his family, but he's, he's weighted down by the things of this world. He's a weighted individual. And then the third one, in other words, this sounds good on the surface. Hey, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And what he was basically saying to the Lord was, you know, when, I, when I'm done with my stuff, I'll come and follow you. And I want you to understand this. Today is the day to follow Jesus, not tomorrow, not next week, not next year. You know, I mean, he has, he has so much for you today. There's so much blessing for you today. There's so much riding on this to follow him today. Don't procrastinate. Don't put it off until you get old to serve him. Do it while, you're, while you have opportunity to do it now, no matter how old or young you are. We used to refer to these three guys as casual Christians. Does anybody remember that term back in the day? These are just casual Christians. Listen, casual Christians always produce casualties. They always produce casualties. If you serve the Lord in a casual manner, man, there are people around you who are going to be casualties eventually. We want to follow him with our whole heart. Thirdly, another way that we sort of come to Christ with this Judas kiss is professing faith in Christ while holding humanistic values. And I think a lot of this, this is where the church in America is at today, that we have the gospel that has transformed lives. And let me tell you this. Nothing has changed the world more than the gospel. The gospel has transformed. Everywhere the gospel is gone, and I know that it's under attack today. I get it. But everywhere the gospel is gone, there's women's rights. Everywhere the gospel is gone, there's children's rights. Everywhere the gospel is gone, there are, there's humanitarian aid. Everywhere the gospel is gone, people are taking care. I'm not saying bad things haven't happened in countries where the gospel has been there. But, you know, when there's a disaster in the world, who's the first people there? The United States is there. You know what I'm saying? And, and I understand. Hey, listen, some people don't like the United States, whatever. I, I'm not, I, that's neither here nor there. The reality is the United States is good. Like it's been said the United States is good because the United States has a godly influence in it. I'm not sure about that anymore. You know, but the reality is that's, that's what has made our country great has been the godly influence that's there. You know? And so um, when we look at, at, at this today, like, like uh, our good brother shared with me an article I read this week that, like, Harvard University just appointed a new chaplain, and the chaplain that they appointed at Harvard, now Harvard is not, is not really a godly school per se. It started out as one. It was, it was, it was to prepare ministers. Um, Harvard has appointed a, a new chaplain. The chaplain is an atheist. How can be an atheist chaplain? I mean, is that oxymoronic, you know? And, and so and I'm, not, I'm not knocking atheists. I mean, whatever. But if you're going to be a chaplain, you, you should be able to point people to God. You know, and so and I understand that, that a lot of the students at Harvard aren't, aren't believers. But the reality is, man, someone's got to point them to Jesus. You know, that's our responsibility. It's hard to do that, though, when humanism has really struck itself in. It, it's not coming in in a trickle anymore. It's coming in in a flood. Uh, I'm not talking about the, I'm not talking politics. Listen, the problem in our nation is not politics. The problem in our nation is, is faith. It's faith. The church has stopped promoting the gospel. 
It's stop preaching the gospel. The gospel transforms people's lives. It doesn't just make people good. It makes dead people alive. When Jesus comes into your life, he doesn't just make you a good person. He gives you life. You can begin to live when you have Christ. You know, and, and, and our, our, our churches have stopped preaching this. I mean, so many, so many churches in the United States are totally preaching a humanistic gospel. And humanism, doesn't, it, doesn't make, it doesn't make you any better, you know? But that's what's sort of, it's, it's sort of come in, and it's, 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 it's there. What used to be morals in our country are no longer morals. What used to be right is no longer right. It's now right is actually wrong, and wrong is right. Like I said, we're in the upside down, right? We're living in stranger things. And we are in the upside down here because everything that's right is wrong. Everything that's wrong is right. And if you do the right thing, it's actually said it's the wrong thing. I mean, it just, you don't even, your head is, is anybody else's head spinning? Right? You know? And so um, this idea of humanism coming into, even into the church, Paul addresses this in, in, the, in the epistle to the Romans, in Romans chapter 6, where he, he says this incredible thing. So like, even in Paul's day, the message was there um, that you, you hear it today. It's, it's, it's a message of salvation without sacrifice. It's a message of redemption without requirements. It's the logical response to the modern-day gospel that has received humanism into it. And this is what the gospel says. This modern-day gospel says, Jesus died for your sins and took away all your guilt, so don't ever feel condemned and don't let anybody judge you. How many of you have heard that? Right? You just be you. Listen. I want you to know that if I was still the same me that I was when I was 20 years old, I wouldn't be standing here. I, I shouldn't stand here. I've been changed over the past 40 years in tremendous ways. God is always looking to perfect us, to perfect us, to make us more like him, to grow. There's, wherever you're at in Jesus, there's always a step forward. There's always more that God has for you. There's always something greater that God has for you. If you think you're at a good spot with Jesus today, he's got a better spot for you tomorrow. The reality is there's always more. There's a greater anointing he wants to, to lead you into. There's a greater walk of faith that he wants to walk you into. You know, But we have to be willing to take those steps. That's why Paul tells us that for himself, he presses on to that onward call of Christ, of, of, you know, that, that he has in Christ Jesus. And so we want to continue that. So Paul addresses this in Romans chapter 6, and he says, uh, the question comes up then, well, then shall we just sin if, if we're covered by grace? Is it okay to sin? Right? And so he said in verse 15, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? And what's his answer? By no means. Right? The King James, it says, certainly not. Shall we sin because we're under grace? Certainly not. Why? Because, because God has given us the ability to live beyond that now in our lives. You know, why? Not because we're perfect, but because Jesus is good. And when Jesus is in us, we can do good as well because of the good that he has in him, you know? And so, and as well, let me just say this. Uh, you know, there are many that would say, well, you don't have to be moral. You don't have to be Christian to be moral. But the reality is this. Like, when I, when I was... When I was growing up, when I was in, when I was in grade school and junior high school, <clears throat> um, in my class, everybody went to church. Every kid went to church. Right? Back in the 70s, they all went to church. Right? The 60s, the 70s, everybody went to church. Right? And so uh, my, my friends grew up and had kids. You know what they didn't do? They didn't take their kids to church. Right? 
And so at the same time, um, the morality that was passed down from my generation's parents to us that we received at church, we passed on to our children. And so our children had a bit of morality in them, even though they didn't go to church. Understand this, because, because the morality that we enjoy here in the United States, you know, our laws are based on, I mean, what are our laws based on? They're based on, on biblical, biblical truths, all right? And so even if, you, even if you don't serve God, you're blessed by the biblical truths that are there. The reason why they're coming under attack today is because there's an entire generation that has not gone to church. They don't know the truth. They don't know the gospel. Ling. The kids at school, what? Ah, uh, yes, well. Yes, yeah. Right, right. I don't expect the schools to teach morality. They should be learning morality at home, and they should be learning it at church, you know? So we have a generation that has not been raised in that. And so, listen, it's, it's not their fault. When that 15-year-old girl came to me the one, the one year at SNL, we, we, were, we showed the Nativity movie at, on a Friday night to our youth group, all right? The Nativity movie. It was Christmas. And this 15-year-old girl, she wasn't special needs. She was just from Scranton, all right? And so she said to me afterwards, she goes, she goes, what does this have to do with Christmas? No, seriously. I mean, she didn't know the connection between Jesus' birth and Christmas. She was 15 years old. Somebody didn't teach that girl. I'm glad she was at youth group, you know? You understand what I'm saying? And so, listen, when we allow humanistic values to come into our lives and we still say we love God or we love Jesus... It's like giving him that Judas kiss. You understand? Right? And, and, and so, and, and again, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul, in this, as he's getting ready to check out, he, he's talking to his young understudy, Timothy, and he says to him in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, It's in the presence of God and of, of Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. And so, Listen, this is his charge he's given to Timothy. He's saying to him, listen, as a, as a pastor, this is what you should be doing. Preach the word. Be ready to, to preach the word. And what does the word do? What does he say? There's three things here. He gives him instruction to do. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. And yet today, in most of America, all we want to hear is a message of encouragement. And we forget that the word of God, like he said, uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, that, that it's, it's, it's good for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And the reality is sometimes if you're not being corrected by the word of God, you're not really getting the word of God. You're not, you know, if you're not being rebuked sometimes by the word of God, you're not really getting the word of God. And if you're not being encouraged as well by the word of God, you're not really getting the word of God, you know. 
It says this verse 3, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. And this is what we see in our society today. This is where we're at. We're living, you know, we've, we've sown the wind, and as a society, we're reaping the whirlwind from that, you know. And then finally as well on this, sometimes we blame God for evil. We see evil in the world. And, and let, me, let me just, again, I, I, I had two weeks vacation, so I'm not rested up, but I'm, I'm, I'm fresh, okay? So, <laughs> all right. Um, sometimes we blame God for the evil in this world. And so we, we sort of say, well, if God was powerful, why does evil still exist? I mean, how many of you have heard that? In fact, most of us probably have said that at some time, all right? And we, or we at least question that. Like, if God is good, why does he allow the Taliban to be? Right? I mean, have, have, has anybody asked that this week? Right? And so there was a, a Greek philosopher uh, back some, uh, you know, six, seven hundred years before Jesus was born. This Greek philosopher, his name is Epicurus, right? And he, he posed this, what it's called the Epicurus' trilemma. And he said this, and many people believe this today, and I want to sort of wrap this as we sort of bring this in for a landing, okay? Um, in Epicurus's dilemma, trilemma, he says the following, if God is unable to prevent evil, then he's not all-powerful. Let me say it. If God is not able to prevent evil, he is not all-powerful. The second part is, if God is not willing to prevent evil, then he is not all-good. And then thirdly, if God is both willing and able to prevent evil, why does, he, why does evil exist? And how many of you have heard that argument? Right, so let me, let, me just, let me just bring this right back at you with this. Do you want God to destroy all evil in this world? If you do, then you yourself will be destroyed as well. Because each one of us, each one of us, have evil inside of us. And so if you're asking God to destroy all evil, then you better be ready to receive his judgment. <laughs> Aren't you glad for his grace and his mercy? That mercy triumphs over justice. That God, yes, God can wipe us out if he wants to, but he's chosen to show us the grace of his son, Jesus Christ, coming, receiving our punishment, our weight, our sin, our everything on him, and him being that sacrifice for us, all of our punishment, all of the evil in us was taken to the cross by Jesus and he bore it for us there. Only, the only one who could do it. The only sacrifice. In fact, there are people that are like, well, listen, there's, there's many ways to God. If there are many ways to God and God sent Jesus Christ to die that terrible death, then he's a terrible God. Right? I mean, if, there's, if you can get to God through you know, some Hindu God, then why would Jesus have to suffer and die like he did? But he did because Jesus himself said he's the only way. And so, listen, don't, don't be pointing fingers at evil. Point fingers at the grace of God that he's willing to extend to even evil people like you and me. I've, I've received the grace of God, even though I'm in, deep down, I'm an evil person. I, I know it. I won't be your pastor after today. <laughs> Our pastor said he's evil. I'm in a room full of evil people. Like, like Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 6, 
I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, right? But then God takes that coal off the altar, and he cleanses us. We don't have to worry about a coal. Jesus went to the cross for us. Man, what a beautiful picture of God's love for us. Why would I want to serve anyone else? He's so good. There was a song back in the 80s that was, that was talked about this, one of my favorite bands from back in the day. I was going to show them the video, but there was too much hair and too much hairspray <laughs> in this band. The band's called Petra. And uh, they had a song called Judas Kiss back in the 80s. It was not a worship song. It was, it, was, it was a song that was very challenging. The words go like this. I wonder how it makes you feel when the prodigal won't come home. I wonder how it makes you feel when he'd rather be on his own. I wonder what it's like for you when a lamb has gone astray. I wonder what it's like for you when your children disobey. It must be like another thorn struck in your brow. It must be like another close friend's broken vow. It must be like another nail right through your wrist. It must be just like, just like Judas kiss. I wonder how it makes you feel when no one seeks your face. I wonder how it makes you feel when they give up in the race. I wonder how, what it's like for you when they willingly disobey. I wonder what it's like for you when they willingly walk away. It must be like another thorn struck in your brow. It must be like another close friend's broken vow. It must be like another nail right through your wrist. It must be just like, just like Judas' kiss. Man, it just hits me right between the eyes. You know, the reality is Jesus has been nothing but good. He, he holds out his arms in love towards us. And sometimes we give him a kiss, and it's a kiss of deception. And it's like Judas's kiss. But, man, we can come to him and give him everything. We can give him our all. We can come to him and give him a kiss, a real kiss. And, and listen, I'm a guy, and so this idea of kissing Jesus is not something that I'm fond of. You know what I'm saying? All right, but, but the reality is, um, you know, there is, this, there is this relationship that we can embrace the Savior, that even I as a man can have that relationship with Christ. It's not a weird thing. It's not something bizarre. Um, but, but as men and women today, God has called us to come to him, not just as some God that we just bow before or, you know, we, we submit to, but to have this relationship that's incredible. In Psalm chapter 2, David writes about this. As, as, and, and the writers put this psalm at the beginning of the psalm, so you get it right at the start. And in Psalm chapter 2, verse 10, it says, Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. And that's powerful stuff, right? And then it says this, Kiss his son, or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And then a generation later, his son, Solomon, who's this guy? He's got everything the world desires. He's got money, he's got wealth, he's got women, he's, he's got a palace, he's got, you know, his kingdom is expanding. It's an amazing thing. And he writes this, this, this book that's put into the canon of Scripture, and it's an amazing book because it is just like totally just uncomfortable to read. You know, like romance novels, you know what I mean? And as a teenager, I remember saying, oh, if I ever get called on to read Scripture, I hope it's not from this book. You know, I, I want to stand in front of people and say these things, you know, because you're a teenager and you're like all concerned about that kind of stuff. But it's amazing how that book starts out. And so that book is, is, is written to show what romantic love is between a man and a woman. You know, in that day and age. I mean, it's, it's a little over the top. And some of the language is sort of weird, you know, but like culturally things are just different back then. And so like, like it says, like the one time he describes his, his, his lover and he says that her waist is like a heap of wheat. 
And my question was always, is that a round or a square bale? <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> so it's, 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 it's a great, but it also shows, it also shows the love of Jesus for his church. It's why, you know, uh, 10 centuries later, Paul is able to write, and he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. And we see how he loves the church in the Song of Solomon. But we also see how the church loves him in the Song of Solomon too. So in, in chapter 1, verse 1, it says this, Solomon's Song of Songs. And then it, it, it gives you this, it's like, a, it's like this drama. And so it says she, because this is the girl speaking right at the top. And she says this, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. And I want you to get this, guys. I want you to understand. So listen, we can, we can hold Jesus off at arm's length and give him that kiss like a Judas kiss, or we can let him kiss us with the kisses of his mouth. You understand? There is a place for intimacy with God. There is a place that, listen, it's not just a religion that I have. It's not just, it's not just this, this understanding that I have that I practice, that I do because I believe there's power in it. No, it is a relationship with actually a relationship with Jesus Christ that we have. It is a living, breathing relationship with God that we have through the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. That we're never alone. That we have the opportunity to, to, to be able to commune with God on a day-by-day, minute-by-minute, moment-by-moment uh, opportunity. That is what we have as believers. What more do we need? I mean, seriously. So my question for you today is the same question that I opened up with. And I said we were going to end happy. We sort of, we're sort of happy right now, right? Right? It's sort of a happy spot. Are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Look through your heart. Let the Holy Spirit illuminate you and see if maybe, maybe you need to just let the guard down and let him kiss you right on the mouth. You don't understand what I'm saying? Not, I'm not being weird or sexual here or anything like that. I mean, it's not, this isn't some cult we're starting here. We're kissing Jesus. <laughs> I mean, oh, that would get the news here. You know, I mean, that's not what I'm talking about. And don't do it with each other. Right? Don't anybody come to me and say, Pastor Dave, show me what he means. Is that ain't going to happen, okay? All right? <laughs> but are you? That's right, Joe. You remember that. <laughs> But are you willing to open up yourself to say, Lord, I want intimacy with you, not in some weird way, but I want to know you. Like Judas knew you, but I want to know you. I want to experience the power of God, your presence in my life. You know, bow your heads, close your eyes with me just for a moment as we get ready to leave Today, perhaps, it says to obey is better than sacrifice. And maybe the Holy Spirit is just moving on your heart right now, just in these final moments here before we go. The Holy Spirit is just sort of stirring you up and saying, listen, just open your heart. Just open your heart to me. Just open your heart. Let him, let him come in. Let him, let him be in you what he wants to be in you. He doesn't want you just because, you know, he wants you to take his name so you can be called a Christian, whatever. I don't even, I don't even, it doesn't matter what you're called. What matters is who you know. That's how life is. Do you know him today? 
Have you released yourself to him today? And I know a lot of you have been serving the Lord for decades. I get that. Are you still opening yourself up to more? Do you know that Jesus has more for you? Listen, I've been following him for a long time, but he's got so much more for me. I've got to walk into those things. I've got to step into what he has. And he's faithful. He's faithful to do those things in us, to help us, to walk with us, to encourage us. Would you open your heart to him completely today? And for some of you, you might say, you know, I, I, I really can't do that. I can't open my heart completely. But can you open your heart more? It doesn't have, you know, listen, if you can't give them 100% today, can you give them half? Can you give them more than what you got right now? Are you willing to open your heart to him more? Because listen, I love that verse that those kids learn in Destination Dig. You will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. See, the harder you seek, the more you find. That's why Jesus said, ask and seek and knock. And sometimes asking is enough. Sometimes you've got to seek a little bit more. Sometimes you've got to go and knock on those doors. And whatever it is, are you willing to give it to Jesus today? Are you willing to receive something more from him today? <clears throat> just let the Holy Spirit just, just move on you just for a few moments here. And we're going to finish up with a song. It's an old song. But, man, it's just got a great message to it. Lord, I surrender it to you. I give it all to you today. If you're willing to give him more today, would you sing this final song with me today? All to Jesus I surrender, all to him I can't say all. Can you say more? Listen, he's patient. <laughs> he doesn't demand everything from you right now. He'll be patient with you. He'll take it at your terms. It's amazing. He's such an incredible God. He loves us so much. This next verse. All to Jesus I surrender. All at his feet I I surrender, make me Savior 
Lord, we just come before you. We thank you that you receive us, oh God. Thank you that you would be mindful of us. That there is not one of us, oh God, that goes beyond your, your view. That you see us, oh Lord. You love us. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness to us. Thank you for your blessings that you pour upon us. I'm thankful, Lord, that you even bless those who don't, who don't acknowledge you. The sun shines on the just and the unjust. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. You love mankind. You love the world so much that, Jesus, you came. Thank you for coming and showing your love and your grace to a world that so needs to hear it. So help us, Lord, to be able to release all to you today. And if we can't release all, help us to release more. Because I know you'll be faithful. Holy Spirit, you'll be faithful to follow us and to encourage us. It says your kindness leads us to repentance. Thank you for being such a kind Savior. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for taking us and receiving us today, Jesus. We love you and we bless you. Why don't you stand, raise your hands. I want to bless you today before you go. So may this God, this one who loves us with an everlasting love, may he come and find your life. May he show his power, his love, his grace, his mercy in you in greater ways. And may you go forth as individuals who are changed from death to life, made more like him, perfected in his image. May you not embrace him with Judas' kiss, but may you say, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. May you receive this and walk forth in power because there's a world who needs to receive this. Share this with them. Let them see my love and his grace and his mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord bless you folks. Have an awesome day. Uh,